Hey there, loyalists. Frank here. So, Gil and I have been working hard to crank out shows for the last three months straight without a break, and we're going to take one this week. We're going to take a little Easter Passover break, and we're going to run an encore episode from back in 2016. It's a favorite episode of ours that we talk about a lot. Uh, This is in celebration of the 100th, unbelievable, 100th birthday of the legendary comedy writer and cartoonist Al Jaffe, our friend Al Jaffe. And um, this was recorded back in 2016 when Al was a mere lad of 95, four years before he would eventually retire at the age of 99. And it quickly became a, a classic episode. Longtime mad writer Dick DeBartolo joined us, too, and we got into a lot of things. We got into William M. Gaines and the history of Mad Magazine and Dick's experience in game shows. And, of course, Al told many touching stories about his childhood, which you will hear. But lots of enlightening and entertaining conversation. And, uh, as I said, it's a longtime favorite episode of ours. So, happy 100th birthday, unbelievable, to the great... uh, uh, unsinkable, <laughs> one of a kind, Al Jaffe, and we hope you guys enjoy this uh, encore presentation from 2016. And then we'll see you next week with a brand new show. This is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. We're once again recording at Nutmeg with our engineer, Frank Verderosa. Our guests today are two celebrated satirists and longtime Mad Magazine contributors who together have appeared in the pages of Mad for a combined 115 years. Dick DiBartolo is referred to as Mad's Maddest Writer. He sold his first article back in 1962, and since 1966, he's appeared in 454 consecutive issues. Serving as creative consultant from 1984 to 2009, he wrote movies and the mad book of sex, violence, and home. At what home was that? cooking. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a, that's a deadly <laughs> title. <laughs> Book of Sex, Violence, and Home Cooking. There you go. Among others, collaborated with legendary artist Don Martin on several titles, and he authored the 1994 memoir, Good Days and Mad. He's also a recognized gadget expert known as the Gizwiz and a prolific writer for stand-up comedians and TV game shows, including To Tell the Truth, Tattletales, Family Feud, 
Super Password, and the long-running match game. The body and a reverent style of questions that made him famous. Okay, thanks. Good night. Take a breath. (laughs) Al Jaffe (laughs) is one of the most prominent and admired cartoonists of the 20th century. He began his career in 1941, worked alongside fellow cartooning and publishing icons Stan Lee, Will Elder, and Harvey Kurtzman, and has been writing and drawing for Mad since 1955. He's authored 60 paperback and hardcover books and is well-known for his signature creations, Al Jaffe's Mad Inventions, Snappy Answers to Stupid Questions, and, of course, Mad's long-running feature, The Mad Fold-In, which began way back in 1964, and he continues to turn them out 52 years later. He's been awarded the National Cartoonist Society Medal of Honor and was recently presented with a plaque by the Guinness Book of World Records for having the longest career as a comics artist at 73 years and three months. Please welcome to the show two legendary members of the usual cast of idiots. Gang, gang. Gang of idiots! (laughs) Please! Boy, I've read this for I don't know how many years, and I said cast of idiots. Fuck me. Please welcome to the show two legendary members of the usual gang of idiots. Dick Bartolo, <laughs> Dick Bartolo, ah, fuck it all. D Bartolo, Dick Bartolo, D ba- D Bartolo, D Dick D Bartolo, <laughs> and Al Jaffe. Okay, you can both go home now. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Now I, you know why I, you we know, edit. We're too famous for this. <laughs> <laughs> I've never, I've never had a longer introduction in my entire life. Well, you know, the fans write to us and say, "I really, they really dig the long introductions." It's Do become, they really? Yeah, it's become it's, part of the show. It's become part. Oh, of it has. Oh, okay. <laughs> we have people write again that, that <laughs> oh, they say okay. if because your producer is sound asleep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they say if it was ever a normal introduction. Of like a few seconds, they they would be disappointed. Oh, okay. Yeah, I feel better. Okay, I feel better. And you if I God ever I... got anything totally right in the introduction, <laughs> including my co-host's name, all right, <laughs> took right, about twelve shows. Oh, okay. I don't think there's any fear of that. Yeah. Now, welcome, now... gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you for coming over here on a busy day in New York City. Yeah, with the president coming in. Yeah, the it's snarled traffic. Everywhere in the city. Now, you, uh, you Al, wrote a book, or some, you co-wrote a book, uh, My Mad Life, I think it's called. Uh, well, it, Al the, Jaffe's Mad Life. The Al title Jaffe. of it is Al Jaffe's Mad Life. 
which uh, is not far off the mark. Uh, and it's basically a memoir, but it also covers uh, my career with the usual gang of idiots at Mad Magazine. Now, I have to ask you, uh, Frank and I were talking about it, your childhood, you are, uh, your, your mother and father, your father lived in New York, and your mother stayed in Lithuania, and she insisted her son stay with her. Well, actually, uh, our family, uh, my mother and father lived in Savannah, Georgia. And then I was the firstborn, and then there were three younger brothers born afterwards. And at some point, my mother had a yearning to go back to the old country and visit her family and uh, friends and so on. And this was 1927, and she took all of us back, which was ostensibly to be a short a short visit, but it just dragged on and on and on. And finally, after a year, my father came over and dragged us all back. And when you were in Lithuania, it was like practically zero money that you had. You, I heard you had like one light bulb. Oh, there! when I first came to Lithuania in 1927, there were no light bulbs. There were only kerosene lamps. Electricity had not been introduced. And then the big day came when the electric company from the big city uh, arrived and, and, and put in limited amount of uh, electric wiring. And, uh, but no one had more than one light bulb because that was all the power that each house was allowed to get. So it was still uh, it was still a kerosene lamp uh, business. Of course, when you're a little kid, you what you your reaction to all of these things is this is normal. Everybody's doing it, so it's normal. And missing meals became normal. And Ash, your your mother didn't feed you guys regularly, too. No, which is in the she book. was not very often around. I, we we didn't know where she was, and sometimes she didn't have the money to buy anything. And there were no sno- stores nearby anyway. We used to wait for peddlers to come by, uh, peddling bagels and uh, fruits and vegetables. So it was very prim- it was a very primitive existence, but uh, as I look back on it, it uh, it was very interesting. And now, when your father then decided you're coming to New York, and she kept one of your brothers, Th- this we went in 1926, and we came back in. 1927, and then in 1929, she decided to take us all back again. And we were there from 1929 to 1933 when my father saw 
that Hitler was going to... Well, Hitler already was chancellor of Germany. So my father saw that there was no stopping the Holocaust. He had the foresight. So he went to all his relatives and borrowed all the money he could and uh, came over to take us back. And my mother told my father, okay, take the three older boys, leave the youngest one with me, and I'll rejoin you after I've said goodbye to friends and relatives, and I'll rejoin you. Uh, But time went by, and she didn't. And my father, in exasperation, and he was... He was the savior. In exasperation, he made arrangements to have my youngest brother kidnapped from my mother by a young immigrant Polish man. This young man went over to where my youngest brother and my mother lived, got hold of the kid who was 14, and said, told him the story. Your father uh, has made arrangements for me, and I have tickets and everything to go to America, and he wants you to come and rejoin your brothers and your father, Uh, and your mother can make up her mind later if she wants to come. So he came, and we saved him. And now, when you were leaving with your father on the train... Your mother was supposed to meet you at the train station, and then what happened? She was always late, and as the train whistle blew and the train started to shake, there she was at the locked gate, and that's the last time we saw her. So with the train moving away, you and your brothers... That was it. That was the last sight. Last time. And, And then probably the Nazis... Well, I'm working on that now because of my connection with the Holocaust Museum. And the earliest information I have is that uh, the large Jewish community in Zarasai, uh, there were no survivors. Uh, To the best of my knowledge, they were taken... Uh, what the Red Cross reported, and now I think the Holocaust Museum is working on it. They were taken to the local woods where I and all my friends used to play and cut down our fishing poles and pick strawberries, but they were all taken there and told to dig trenches, and they were shot. That's where they all wound up. Okay, now this brings me to something that fascinates me. It's like this was as sad and tragic a childhood as you can imagine. And you built a career on comedy and making people laugh. I have always believed, and I'm firmly convinced of it now, especially after having to uh, uh, talk about my early childhood uh, for the book. Um, I'll mention the name, Al Jaffe's Mad Life. <laughs> yes, go I'll mention it a few times. And Mary Lou Weissman. Mary Lou and, Weissman and, was yeah, the author. Very well-written book, by the way, and gross. Thank you very much. She is a wonderful woman and a wonderful writer. And uh, 
So what I discovered early on was the first thing that a young child wants to do is become part of uh, the little group of other children that you meet. You want to ingratiate yourself to them somehow so that they accept you and allow you to play ball with them or go fishing with them. And I found that uh, my ability to draw uh, fascinated them. So I started drawing, uh, first I started drawing American cartoon characters, which I used to love on Sundays, uh, bringing up Father with Jigs and Maggie and Little Orphan Annie and Dick Tracy. And I would draw them from memory the best way I could. And that kind of went over like a lead balloon because these kids were not reading American Sunday funnies. But then I started to do caricature of each of the each one of these kids, and that made them hysterical laughing because uh, one kid would have, walk around with his uh, uh, pants practically hanging below his his bottom, and I I would feature that in the cartoon, and oh, they'd all have big yucks about that. And I found out that, and by the way, these drawings were in the sand. In the street, all all the streets were were sand. There were no paved roads, and uh, so with a stick, I would draw these things. Later, I did it on paper and showed it to them, and they laughed hysterically. So, I found that humor uh, was very important. Uh, not only this way to uh, ingratiate yourself in a new tribe but also as a way for you, you, you oneself to to get your mind off the daily misery that uh, you uh, you might be going through yeah so i saw in humor a magical device for becoming uh, accepted Popular, I you know I wasn't going after. <laughs> yeah, so, you hit that anyway. But yeah, fortunately, there eventually a little popularity came our way, and I I love the idea of like tragedy and comedy and how they connect. They do connect. They're the, almost the opposite sides of the same coin. While we wait for Gilbert to find the men's room. We promise we'll come back to the show after a word from our sponsor. Don't go away. And now back to the show. There's some there's some great stories in the book. We'll come back to that too. And I wanna I wanna bring Dick uh, into this. I grew up in that hellhole called Brooklyn, and I have no sympathy <laughs> from anybody. Well, you were trying to. Uh, I mean, it's not as maybe as hard scrabble as, as as Al's background, but you were trying to get out of Brooklyn, and you didn't want to go into your 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 dad's business. And no, I you were no. trying to escape. In your own way. Uh, exactly. And my father kept saying, what do you want to be? And I said, I, I want to be a writer. And he said, a writer is not an occupation. <laughs> an occupation uses tools. A- and I kept saying, no, but I want to write. And so I, you're right. I wanted to get out of there. So my escape was hanging out 
we had a, a basement, and in the basement I got a desk and I bought a microphone and I pretended I was I had a radio station, and I could actually just broadcast to the front door. I hooked I hooked a, <laughs> a speaker. The early gadget. Uh, only ga- exactly. I was into gadgets very into early. Play. I wired this thing up and put a speaker in the hedges and I would hide in the garage and when someone would go to park, I would say, that is a no parking zone and the person would look around because they couldn't see the speaker and I would just, and that's how I entertained myself. <laughs> and, you fell in love with Sid Caesar too. I mean, I read <sighs> where you said that you, you, know, you wanted to do that for a living. Yes. Watching the Sid Caesar show, I remember they... Him and Imogen Coco did old movies. Oh, yeah. And the sure. old movie yeah. sketches made me hysterical. And I was reading Mad Magazine, and then I thought, after about the fourth issue, I thought, I don't want to read this. I want to write this. So I bought a book called Writer's Year Book, and it listed, It's you know, it said, a lot of magazines will not accept anything unless it's presented through uh, an agent. And I'm in high school, and I, I, I don't know from... So I, I find Mad Magazine, and it said Mad Magazine will read anything. And I said, well, I can write anything. Uh, so I wrote a takeoff on ads, and I sent it in. But I had also read, you must send a big self-addressed stamp envelope, or if they don't want it, they'll just throw it out. So weeks later, I got back my own big envelope, and was very depressed, and then I thought, well, maybe it could be it's almost good. So I opened the envelope, and the envelope was stuffed with cardboard and scribbled on a cardboard. It said, ha, 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 thought your script was rejected. Stapled to the script is a $100 check, which was <laughs> a lot back in 62. In yeah. 62. Wow. Yeah. And it said, please call us uh, about writing more material, signed by Nick Meglin. Uh, who, uh And... And not only was I thrilled, but when it came out, it was a takeoff on on uh, TV ads. They had a single page ad that Al Jaffe had written, and they combined them. Is so the Imperial my, Margarine piece? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes, Imperial yeah. Margarine. You have to be very old to remember that. Yeah, a I, crown would appear. I don't remember, remember it. it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. A crown would appear <laughs> on someone. And, and the satire was... How come everybody they stop in the supermarket is so normal? Why aren't they stopping and talking to the crazy people? Um, and then I started submitting stuff to Mad and kept submitting stuff and um, turned into 55 years. What was the connection? Al contributed a page? Al, to the, to Al the had uh, – I didn't find out too much later on because uh-huh. when my piece came out, it said by Dick D. Bartolo with Al Jaffe. And later on, I found out that they had a single-page commercial takeoff that Al had done, and they didn't want to have it run by itself. And they thought, well, we're going to use your three pages, but we'll put Al's in it, and it'll look like a big spread on ads. Right. Um, And I didn't actually know Al back then. No, no. You know? The only way I knew about Dick was I had a friend, a a lady— out on Long Island when I lived there, Joan uh, Chasnov, and she was crazy about funny programs, crazy shows, 
And she came by one day and said, there is a guy who does these presentations, and it was things that, events that you produced in parks and... Uh... Well, well, back in the, in the match game days, it's a whole thing. I yeah, always, we'll get around to that. Yeah. Uh, I used to make movies. Yes. Movie satires and show them anywhere. You know, we'd rent hotel rooms and just show them old 8 millimeter. movies. You did movies. home movies with some of the, the celebrities. Yes, I used to. I first did them with, with. The, with the kids in the neighborhood. Right. And then when the match game came around, I kept the camera in the uh, at the studio. And I would say to every celebrity who came on, look, I make silly home movies. Could you do a minute of shtick with me? And, you know, so we had Van Johnson and Audrey Meadows and... I didn't ask Gloria Swanson. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Gloria Swanson. Wow. Oh, yeah. That was... We had a... Where were these things shown, Dick? They were shown... We, we used to rent a hotel in the city. And uh, this girl, Ray Pitchon, we were very crazy. And we said, let's... Why don't we have a black tie opening? And she was very good at PR. And she called Delmonico's Hotel and said... Some people at Goodson Tobin made this silly movie. Can, is there any chance you'd lend us a ballroom? And they said, what? And they said, but, you know, it's from Mark Goodson and, and Orson Bean will be there and all the— Orson said, Bean, or, yeah, a guest here yes, on this very yes, podcast. Yes, Robert Q. Recently, a couple Robert of weeks Q. ago. Lewis. So she got the ballroom for free. Um, and then in the movie, we had used old cars. So we called this car company and said, could we have a—, a can we rent old cars for celebrities? And they said, well, if they're big enough celebrities, you can have the old car. Anyway, it turned into a big joke that you've—and Dorothy Kilgallen reviewed it as if it was a real thing. Oh, my friend Joan <laughs> raved about it. She says, <laughs> we got to see the, these things. The funniest people in the world. Yeah. And she mentioned your name in particular. Mm. Before I even met you at MAD— I knew your name. Oh, yeah, that's a weird. That's a weird coincidence. Yes, and a weird connection. It is. And, and Al, you invented snappy answers for stupid questions. And can you tell us how that first came about? He loves that story. Yeah, <laughs> as I do. Yes. Well, uh, the the original story is that uh, although you know we all do snappy answers to stupid questions uh, just naturally. Everyone does. Uh, but uh, in, so I I probably have been was doing it long before the, the event I'm about to tell you about, which crystallized into an idea of presenting it to MAD. I worked at home and uh, very often under high pressure because I was producing writing, penciling, inking, the whole uh, Megillah of uh, uh, two comic books a month. And, I, you know, I burned the midnight oil a lot as page after page. After. So one day uh, there was a storm and the antenna on uh, attached to our chimney was knocked over. I borrowed a ladder. I'm terrified of heights. I go up and I try to tighten a strap and I hear footsteps on the ladder behind me. And before I know it, my son's hot breath 
is up against my behind, and he says, where's mom? And I said, I have killed her, and I'm stuffing her down the chimney. (laughs) So the footsteps retreat very rapidly. (laughs) Later, I had to pat him on the head and say, I didn't mean that. I was just scared up there with the uh, ladder shaking and you in the back of me and all that. Uh, But I kept thinking about it, saying, you know, that there's something funny about it. It's sarcastic and nasty, but it's funny, and it it happens all the time. And and then I remembered an occasion where somebody had bumped into a tree uh, on our block, and somebody had come by and said, have an accident? And I thought in my mind, no, thank you. I already had one. <laughs> so, so I put those two thoughts together, and I quickly wrote a bunch of ideas down on uh, cheap paper. And I went into the editor, Al Feldstein. I got him right off the bat. He said, I love this. I love it. He had a nasty disposition anyway. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's true. It would have appealed That's to him. Never met him. But no, Al was, uh, he was sometimes difficult to get along with because he was tough. But he was also uh, really quite talented. He was a good writer. He was a good painter. And uh, he graduated from the same school that Harvey Kurtzman and I and Will Elder and John Severin went to, the High School of Music and Art. So uh, Feldstein, and he was also one of the creative geniuses with Bill Gaines on the horror comics, uh, which was making them both rich, until uh, Mr. Wortham decided to kill yeah. the whole business. I think everybody pretty much knows that story. I read an interview with Feldstein, and he, was, he, he said that he, he was, I think he was a little unhappy about the fact that Kurtzman got so much credit for, the, for, for, for MAD in the early days, and that he is, he is often That's understandable. lost to history. That's understandable, because... Uh, it's like somebody is running a push cart, and along comes someone else and says, oh, this looks like a good, a good idea. Um, do you mind if I turn it into a restaurant? And next thing you know, you've got horn and hard art, you know. So who's going to get the credit, the guy sure. with the push cart or the guy that does a chain of restaurants? Harvey Kurtzman was an idea man, and he came up with a lot of very funny, outrageous things uh, and uh, Mad was not financially successful under Harvey Kurtzman. It probably was holding its own, but you know, uh, just paying uh, for what it cost. But it was Feldstein that brought it up to a million and a half or two million yeah. copies a month. With Harvey Kurtzman, maybe it was fifty-five thousand or something right, like right. that. Harvey was more an artist than a businessman. Oh, with Harvey, it was all about the art. He would have paid, he would have paid a talent out of his own salary. He practically did that with me to get him to go along on some of his projects. So, uh, and I loved Harvey, but I respected Feldstein. 
I didn't see eye to eye with him on many things, but uh, he was very practical, and uh, and, and he, we disagreed on humor. Uh, Feldstein was not a humorous man, but uh, he surrounded himself with uh, with clever people like Nick Meglin and. Uh, this guy. <laughs> Dick. This yeah. guy. Dick. Oh, yeah. yeah. One, one yeah. day I'll learn to pronounce your name. <laughs> That's okay. D. Bartolo. <laughs> D. Bartolo. No, they, they uh, took... I got I to tell a story. Sure. When the two of you came in before. And Al was saying, you know, I'm, I'm tired and angry. I It took me... I had the longest cab ride. It took forever. It cost over $60 from my doctor's office, it was the longest, and and Dick says to me, he goes, and your doctor lives in your building. <laughs> <laughs> he's well, quick. He's the master of those quips. He's quick. I must have heard, in fact, I've repeated a lot of his without giving credit. Don't give him credit. No, <laughs> no I so always give him credit. So that's one I really witnessed between he the is, two of you. Dick is one of the wittiest guys that Matt has. Now, there are a lot of very funny writers uh, who are not witty at all in person. And I, I'm right about that. Uh, Don Martin. Don Martin. Don Martin was not Al funny. Jaffe. Don we were going to ask you no, about no. Don Martin. Oh. Don Martin was so, it was so funny. Uh, I wrote like three of his books. And I'm saying, so we're going to do this cowboy satire, okay? I said, <laughs> so there's 20 Indians. There are five Indians. Uh, five Indians, okay. And then there's covered wagons. There's a covered wagon. I said, boy, he said, you're saying it. I'm drawing it. <laughs> I don't want these big scenes. We were roommates on mad trips. I saw Don laugh out loud once <laughs> and it was because i loved dogs and in paris we were walking down the street and there was this little french poodle and i bent down to say hello to the dog and the french poodle leaped at me and i fell backwards <laughs> don laughed for 20 minutes <laughs> and back in the hotel at night he's got <laughs> he loves dogs he loves dogs and the dog hates them. <laughs> that was the only time that I saw Don. But cartoony. But oh, what a hilarious artist. Oh, my God. When I would write stuff, I could not wait to see how it came back because he would add, you know, the people with the feet the that fold feet, over sure. when they come yeah. to the curb. And the nose would go cover the mouth. Yes. Yeah, and long. then the weird sound effects. He was 100% Visual. Yes, uh, yes, exactly. exactly. Visual. And but I, his... I, when I was a kid, I sent away for uh, 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 Captain Klutz. Captain Klutz. Well, yes. Dick worked on those books. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah there were uh, Jack, uh, I, yeah, I forgot, there were three of us who wrote Captain Klutz books. And, you know, it was just let's do superheroes and let's do a crazy superhero. And I don't know how it came up, but we kept thinking about what's the costume going to be? What's the costume going to be? And then I don't know who 
what the three of us said. Well, I, how about he's going to commit suicide and he jumps out the window? I, I remember. And, I remember <laughs> this. Who did it? He. Oh, oh no! Go ahead. He jumps off the roof. He accidentally falls into a pair of of boxer shorts. <laughs> well, uh, uh, actually, That's right. A, a pair of 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 long johns. Long johns. With, with, with yes. The, with the flap. <laughs> right. And and uh, a husband is there, and he goes to his wife. This is the ugliest hat you've ever worn in your life. I'm throwing it out. And he falls and the hat goes on his head. I remember it. And that's how Captain Klutz came about. Yeah, no, the the writing brilliant. Yeah, the stuff was visually brilliant. brilliant. Yeah, stuff so fascinating that he wasn't a funny guy in person. I never knew that. No, No. he was not funny at all. (laughs) (laughs) That's a a newsflash. And I remember in one of the Don Martin books, someone says, uh, "Oh, it's an eye doctor who's talking to his patient," and he goes, "You know, you go to that. I think like movie theater. It's it's like about." And the movie theater's right across the street. You can see <laughs> right. it clearly. And the eye doctor is going, you could see it. It's like about 12 blocks away. <laughs> There's a lot of trees in front of it and a lot of traffic. <laughs> yeah. No. What were the other characters? Fester and Carbuncle? Fester and Carbuncle. Oh, my Car- God. Remember them? They used right. to be on the road. Yeah. 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 Lance Parker Tip, noted Notary Republic. Of course. Had all those With books. his dog. Yeah. No. It, no. It was we all great. took no. a crack at writing stuff for Don. You did. I'm sorry? We all took a yes, crack yes, at writing absolutely, stuff. Absolutely. I wrote a, a number of them. Don Edwin Don did. Don Edwin did a, yeah. a lot of them. A lot of them. Yeah. But it's it was Don uh, it was Don Martin's interpretation. It's one thing to write a gag in a Italian restaurant, and in the Italian restaurant, the waiter's going to come by, and there's a piece of spaghetti hanging down, and then it's going to be some joke, you know. But then Don would take hold of it, and you'd swear the spaghetti is alive. Yeah, no. You know, he would (laughs) do things to it that uh, I I would never think of doing. And who was inventing the weird sound effects? He did. He did. He did. He did did it. Yeah. Yeah. Like Gogli Urk. Yes. What a mind. And point, like the woman's wearing a tank top, and and one of her boobs comes out, and it point. Point. Now, what was the falling out then between Darn Martin and Matt? I think that uh, his wife thought he should be doing more stuff. And and I think she she was unhappy with the pay scale and that he would be better if he just went on his own. And it was (laughs) – and the funny thing is, my letters went from high deck to dear Mr. D. Bartola when the split happened. Oh, jeez! And then we had a, we had a book together, and when the book contract came up, the lawyer called, and we actually split the book. I became I retained the rights to the story, and he retained the rights to the artwork. And so I got an artist to re-illustrate the book with my script, and he got someone to put words to his drawings. It was very bizarre. I, I, I don't know, you know, I'm, we're not Bill Gaines, so I don't know the the backfighting. But. And what I remember is then I look on the cover of Cracked, which was the ripoff of Mad, that said, now featuring Don Martin. Yeah, yeah they made a went. big deal out of yes. it. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Yes, he that's went where he, he went. defected. 
to the competition. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. yeah. So, of, so did a, a writer. Program. What was... Lou Silverstone went there, too. Lou yeah. Silverstone and uh, the editor. Uh, I forget his name. Uh, well, I, ju- I just yeah. don't remember. It was a long time ago. But, Spe- speaking of gains, since his name keeps coming up. Oh, God. Tell us. <laughs> and the stories in your book are just, I mean, t- tell us about the first time. I know the first time you met him was over the telephone. Oh, well, I ha- was writing stuff and I called Nick and I said, Nick, I-, I don't have a check yet for the so-and-so story. And Nick said, oh, talk to Bill. I said, no, Bill. I, I said, don't give me Bill. I said, give me the, give me the bookkeeper. And-, and Nick said, Bill is the bookkeeper. I said, I don't want to bo- I don't want to trouble him. And he said, "Hang on." So I hear another phone ring, and then I hear a voice say, "Who is it?" And then he says, "D Bartolo." Who the hell wants to talk to D Bartolo? And then he says, "Hello." I go, "Bill, I'm sorry. I I I was trying to ask about a check. I didn't want them to put." The-. And he laughs and he goes, "Welcome to Med." This is how we treat people when they don't know us. <laughs> and then he, we became great friends. And he and did love us. He did love you. He 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 felt like we were part of his family. And he did. Can I tell the train trip? Tell it. The, I want to let let's plug your book too oh, yes, while we're at it, yes. which is called Good Days and Mad, and it's Good. a terrific read. It's all about Bill. And it's about your friendship, really. Yes. And then you have the forewords that are written by uh, various freelancers and he, contributors about, essentially uh, about Bill. About Bill. It's be- great. Because he loved to do special things for people. And he he said, uh, write this date down. And uh, I said, okay. And he said, and you'll be gone all day. That's all I'm telling you. I said, all right. And he said, and you're especially going to like this. I said, great. So we get closer to the date, and Bill says, uh, go to Penn Station at 8 a.m. You'll be gone all day. I said, okay, fine, fine. So we go to Penn Station, and there he invited 10 of us. And they announced the train, the uh, Metro Liner, to Boston. And Bill says, go down to the platform, but don't get on the train. So we go down to the platform, and the Metro Liner pulls in. I said, Bill... What the hell is going on? He said, you will be surprised. Just stand here. So we're standing here. We hear a train whistle. And out of the tunnel comes a switch engine, a little switch engine, pushing an 1890s restored observation car with three chefs standing on the observation car. Bill says, that is your surprise. We're going to Boston. They're hooking this uh, observation car up to the Metro Liner. We're having a champagne breakfast to Boston. When we get to Boston, they're going to put this car on a siding. You guys have 10 hours in Boston. I'm staying on the train. And he said, at 7 o'clock, we're going to have another dinner on the way back. And it was uh, it was an unbelievable day. And on Monday, I said, Bill, that was one of the best days of my life. I said, how much did it cost? <laughs> and he said, you want to know? I said, oh, how, how does somebody rent a train? And he said, uh, it's $5,000 to rent a train, and then you have to pay 10 first-class fares for the number of people that ride it. But I said, I, I said, 
it's astounding that you would think to do that. He did things like that, didn't he? he yes. Loved, he loved, he he loved, loved to surprise and people. And, of course, people know about the trips that he took yeah. you guys to Haiti and oh, to yeah. Moscow and to yes. all kinds. And, and was Kenya at one point, too, Kenya, and all kinds we of exotic to, places. We went to Thailand. The funny thing is my take with Bill was never to be thankful. That was at, 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 during the event. So we're in Tahiti, and it's this sunset. And we're on the beach and you can see tropical fish in the water. And I say to Bill, how did you find this hell hole? <laughs> <laughs> and Bill says, only you could be sitting here and conjure the word hell hole. I said, well, Bill, I could be home cleaning up dog poop in Riverside Park if you didn't drag us here. So the whole thing was just to be thankless to everything. <laughs> but, you know, he knew that we really loved him. And it was it was great. Oh, now, yeah. another artist who I loved in Mad, and that's who used to do the movie parodies, Mort Drucker. Yeah, how is Mort? Mort Drucker was everybody who has followed in Mort Drucker's steps. Mort had to retire because of uh, heart condition and other problems. and uh, But then along came other people who were doing it, like uh, currently it's Tom Richmond, who is fantastic. Yes. Uh, but they Tom does all, great job. Tom Richmond, uh, all the guys who followed Mort, tipped their hat to Mort and say, he's the master. He was. He and was. he was the master. He... The my way of explaining Mort, Mort's mastery is that you could recognize in one of his movie satires throwaway actors, doormen, uh, you know, people in the movie who weren't even listed in the credits. Right. Bit players. Yes. Bit yeah, players. Get them yeah. all. But yeah, he would get them. them. He would nail them. You know, one of my biggest honors is they did, Mad did a takeoff on Beverly Hills Cop 2. <laughs> and I saw Mort Drucker drew a picture of me. Yeah, and, that's yeah, great. And, it, and I, I thought, wow. Yeah. Oh, and he, I'm sure he captured you, your personality. Uh, well, he gave you a personality. Yeah. <laughs> Mort's around. Why don't you get him to sign that for you? Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. you should. Yeah. Oh, he would love to do that. Yeah. Is, no, he, doing, I, is he doing well? You know, I, I, I don't he, know. No, don't he's, know. Got, yeah. he's got he's health so problems. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. He's quite uh, brilliant. Yeah. Oh, no, I remember Michael J. Fox on The Tonight Show. Johnny Carson said to Michael J. Fox, when did you really know you became famous? And he said... When Mort Drucker drew my likeness on the cover of Mad Magazine, That's I knew I was famous. And I was thinking, God, what a, what a tribute to, to Mort and to Mad. That's yeah. the, the artists we grew up on. I mean, yes, Ar Aragonis yeah. and Al and yes, Jack, the yeah. great Jack Davis. And oh, yeah, Jack Davis. It was funny because he not only did Mad, but like every movie poster, every, yes. every comedy movie and, covers. And, and, and yeah. album covers. Yes. Album covers yes, as well. Yeah. Yes, many posters. And it always looked like his characters 
you know, it was a still drawing, but it looked like everything was, was moving. moving. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. He had a uh, a very uh, spectacular talent for movement. I've, uh, the first article I wrote for Mad Magazine was about boxing. And Jack Davis was hired to do the boxing scenes. When that came out and I looked at that and I thought, how did he capture what was in my head? I mean, I didn't even discuss it with him. That's great. He, I didn't even meet him. He was handed my script. And uh, it just, what I really wanted to show in, in this uh, satire is uh, I was satirizing the pleasure of beating someone to death. <laughs> You know, so because I'm 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 just as fascinated as anyone about the boxing boxing lore, and in fact, I uh, I I used to watch the Friday night fights when I first got a television set because uh, when you first get a television when the first television sets came out. You would watch grass grow, you know. It was so uh, such a thrill to watch anything. So I watched the Friday night fights. Of course, I look back on it and and I say to myself, what kind of an idiot are you to... uh, I've I've become so anti uh, that uh, gratuitous violence. Put two people in in an enclosure... And tell them to beat each other's brains yeah, out. Now we're four. Exa- exactly how I feel about it. <laughs> and we are not succeeding. No. <laughs> He's still breathing. <laughs> we will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. While we're talking about, uh, before we move off again, there's so many great oh, Bill yeah. Gaines stories but you were a game show writer we had it we talked about yeah, it in the yeah. intro and you got you managed to get Bill to do to tell the truth uh I did and that's uh, a good story uh so I said Bill you should be on to tell the truth and he said well why I said because you're you're a famous person said, I saw that yeah so uh he was on to tell the truth and and they got the two people that they briefed to to uh, pretend that they were Bill Gaines and no one guessed Bill, and that cheered Bill up no end because Bill refused to wear a suit and tie. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, Jaffe really invented the T-shirt with the tie painted on it because oh. Bill liked to go to expensive restaurants. Oh, yeah, there's a picture of it in the book. But he doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't. So Al said, Bill, I'm going to make you a special T-shirt. So he made a T-shirt with a tie. And when Bill would just wear a jacket over this T-shirt, he looked like he was wearing a shirt and tie. Well, oh, I, I don't want to interrupt No, 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 you. no, go ahead. We were on the African trip. We, he took us on an African safari. And he wanted to go to the, what was the name of that? Treetops. Right? No, no, it wasn't treetops. It was that very, ex, very exclusive uh, uh, country club restaurant where you could not come in without a jacket and tie. Oh, okay. And I had painted... <laughs> uh, well, I had given him this gift for uh, his birthday sometime 
uh, earlier, maybe six months or eight months earlier, in New York, in Long Island, where he invited me and my wife at the time. And uh, I gave it to him as a gag because I said, here, Bill, if you ever have to go to a restaurant, you don't have to wear a tie. I did a jacket with the lapel and the tie and uh, even little buttons and everything. I spent a whole day painting this thing. So we're in this African poshest of all clubhouse restaurants. I mean, this is where British royalty lived practically. And your kind of place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He doesn't right. own a tie either. <laughs> so I'm I'm sitting there with a couple of the other guys on the trip. And Bill walks up and throws his chest out and says, "Hi Jeff, having a good time?" I said, yeah, Bill, what, what's what's not to have? I got a martini, and uh, there's all kinds of goodies here. He says, yeah, you're really having a good time? And he keeps pushing me with this. And then he says, Jaffe, you blind fuck. Can't you, <laughs> can't you see what I'm wearing? That's <laughs> right. Oh, and oh, and the other artist, and I forget his name, of course, the Spy versus Spy. Oh, Proheus. Oh, Proheus. Yeah. yeah. Where did he? And come Peter from? Cooper now. Peter Cooper's yeah. been doing it for years. Yeah. And where did he come Proheus from? Proheus was then? from Cuba, right? This, I I know the story. Oh, go, so, go, go, okay. go, He was an editorial cartoonist in but uh, Batista's Cuba. This is before uh, Castro. Well, Batista's Cuba was so corrupt. I mean, you know, people, men used to go there in flocks just to uh, go to houses of prostitution, and there was gambling galore. And a lot of the American uh, lowlifes owned casinos there. So Proheus worked for a newspaper. And he did a cartoon, editorial cartoon, that sounded a little rebellious or looked a little rebellious. And the cops came after him, Batista's uh, henchmen, and they they let him know what what his crime was and that he would hear from them. And he knew he was going to wind up in a cement suit somewhere in the Caribbean. So he got the hell out of Cuba. He escaped and he came to the United States and uh, he wanted to work as a cartoonist. And someone steered him to mad and he came in with a portfolio. As He came in especially with Spy versus Spy. I guess that was on his mind, having come from a Cuba that was formerly a dictatorship and then uh, on the right, and now a dictatorship on the left with Castro. So the spy versus spy, the left and the right, uh, inspired him. And uh, Mad went for it immediately. Of course, his, his calligraphic style was so unique and engaging that uh, there was something magical about his work. 
And he and did it for years and years and years. He did it for a long time, and then when he died, uh, Peter Cooper took over. And I must say, Peter has uh, not only kept it up, perhaps uh, at, at times he's even enhanced it. He's especially written some very funny uh, ideas that go beyond the original si- simple thing, stories that Proheus did. But between the two of them, I, I put them both on on the same plane. They, they, they were both, they both are terrific cartoonists. And, Ter- and the lighter side with Dave Berg. The lighter side of Dave Berg was... The lighter side of the heavy Dave Berg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell us something about Dave. D- Dave... Oh, I had the pleasure of meeting once at a Mad Christmas oh, party. Did you? Yeah. Oh, did you? Yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, and well, I liked him. D- you, you did like I it? I did. Yeah. Dave thought we were doing real art or something. I'm not quite sure. He, he always thought <laughs> to Bill that there was something religious in what he did, that he was it was a teaching tool. Yes. And... I think he wanted to do a book about the religious side of the lighter side of. And Bill said, are you crazy? It's like <laughs> we, we often get requests to do a teacher's guide to MED because teachers would often write in and say, uh, the only thing I get a student to read is MED. And it's good because they read and they learn a little something. Could you do a teacher's guide to MED? And, and they wanted to do... Uh, like the God's Guide to Med, and Bill would say, we have got, we have never have to, we can't do anything that makes Med look good. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I remember once before an interview, I said, Bill, they always ask what Med's philosophy is. He said, so so what? I said, so give me Med's philosophy before the guy gets here. And Bill thinks, and he goes, how about this? Mad's philosophy is we must never stop reminding the reader how little value they get for their money. <laughs> and I say, perfect. It's just perfect. Who the hell was Kaputnik? And where did he come Kaputnik from? Kaputnik was just something. Just a funny word. Just a, a word that. that, that like Potts Reby? Yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly. exactly. He would draw himself. Yes. Roger, yes. Roger Kaputnik? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. Right, right. These, uh, they actually are. From uh, uh, old Jewish lore, Potsrebi is in Yiddish Potsrebe. Potsrebe is rabbi. Pots is your genitals. (laughs) (laughs) So this is good stuff. The reason uh, this expression came into being is that. The Rebbe in 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 Europe in the shtetls, he was not a rabbi per se. He was a teacher. He was like a a teacher in a parochial school, uh, and uh, they were very often violent. And uh, they, they, their word was like from God, and they would hit you with sticks or rulers. And so in order to get back at them, you would call them names. And one of the names was Potsrebe, which oh. is the saying, uh, the teacher, the schmuck. Oh. <laughs> Even Dick didn't know that. No. Didn't know the history. No. It's good no. mad history. So I, I am glad I came. <laughs> <laughs> after all. 
Joe Rayola is here, and he's one of the editor, of, uh, senior editor of Mad, is sitting out there. You're nodding. Do you know that story, Joe? Uh, Didn't know it either. Yeah. Oh, no. You're, ed- you're educating everybody here. We got questions from fans on Facebook and Twitter when we posted that we had you guys. Can we ask you some of them? Oh, yeah. It's lo- uh, no geography <laughs> and no math. We'll go, we'll go quickly. As okay. time is winding down, okay. this is from Danny Duraney, and he says, our friend Danny Duraney helps us book this show. He says, be sure to ask Dick uh, about the, the time that Lauren Bacall almost became Lauren uh, DiBartolo. Oh, uh, Lauren Bacall was on Match Game a lot, and we became very friendly, and we laugh it up in the uh, makeup room. And I'm proud to say I was able to, she said, please call me Betty because her friends called her. Betty, and it was a time on the show when she came out, and I would sit just off camera with the match game questions to get to hand to Rayburn. And Lauren came in, and she stood there, and she didn't sit down. And Jean said, "Lauren, are you going to sit?" And she said, "I'm in love with Dick D. Bartolo." <laughs> the clip is on YouTube. Yes, the wow. clip is on YouTube. Yeah. And then I did a. You know, the the camera went on, and I saw I was on, and I knocked the questions over and fell off the chair. And anyway. You guys stayed friends, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. for a long time. For yeah. A long time. Oh, I have a Lauren Bacall story. Oh, hit us. oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> She's my girl. <laughs> I know, but uh, I'll, I'll make this fast because otherwise it gets very— The uh, cartoonists, National Cartoonist Society— was meeting in uh, in New York in the uh, Waldup uh, in the Astor Hotel. Okay, so at the end of it, my wife and I, and uh, I was very friendly with Johnny Hart and his wife Pat. Uh, he did the Wizard of Id and BC and BC. Right, right. Very famous Johnny cartoonist. Johnny was was another cartoon genius. Wonderful writer, uh, you know, in the same league with Don Martin with uh, the humorous look of things. So Johnny and and his wife and my wife and I said, it's early. It's like uh, 12 o'clock. We were young then. Who wants to go to bed now? Let's go out into a bar and have a nightcap. We're in a bar having a nightcap. In walks. Jason Robards, whose play, A Thousand Clowns, is across the street. And he's going to have a nightcap. So my wife at the time, Ruth, was very forward. And she, uh, she said something to Robards like, do you realize who these two guys are? These are two of the most famous cartoonists in the country. Would you like to meet them? So Robarts came over and said, sure, just buy me a drink and I'll, I'll meet them. <laughs> so we all had drinks together. And uh, we all got very tiddly. And finally he said, I don't want to end this. You come back to my place. Oh, my gosh. So we all piled into cars, went back to the Dakota. Yes. Was she, yeah. Wow. And we were in the living room, and it was getting later and later and later. And uh, <laughs> it was bizarre. Uh, at some point, 
Robards got up and peed in the ice bucket. <laughs> so, and then after that, he came over to me and Johnny says, your glass is empty. You need a refill. And I held up my glass and I said, okay, hold the ice. <laughs> great story. Oh, my God. So, that is great. But then, now it's about four in the morning. And... A half-asleep woman comes marching in, angry as hell, and she says, Do you guys realize he has a show tomorrow? Uh, I think he may have had a matinee. Oh, my God. And she kicked us out. Oh, my God. Very, wow. very quickly. What a story. Now, speaking of that, that reminds me. I mean, I used to be on Hollywood Squares, yes, and it was yes. fun. But I don't on on when I was there, there was no drinking going on. I heard in the early game shows, everybody was like totally sloshed. Well, it worked like main. I think a lot of the drinking came when it went to California. Yeah, because there was no restaurant nearby, and you know. A week of game shows is done in one day. You, I'm, you, yes, I'm sure yeah. you're saying right. So what they would do was do two shows in the morning, take an hour and a half lunch break, and then do the three shows in the afternoon so that no one would leave the studio and get lost looking for a restaurant or get lost in Farmer's Market, which was nearby. They would serve wine at lunch. And so... People would start to drink wine, and sometimes they would drink a lot of wine. Yeah. And so the afternoon shows were always much looser than the, than the morning shows. And we we did that to a lesser degree in New York City when we taped at, a, at NBC. But it was the same deal uh, where the celebrities would stay and have lunch, and they would have lunch sent in. Uh, but it was wilder out there because when, w the New York match game w had a totally different, same format, but it was only two celebrities and four regular contestants. And California had six celebrities, so they could really have a, a cocktail hour among themselves and with Gene Rayburn, of course. So there was uh, – and, and I, I was led to believe there was drinking here at, at the uh, – there's a little drinking. There's a little drinking. Okay. Just, yes. just, a, just a little. Okay. No peeing in ice buckets. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, Jaffe, stop. <laughs> we got well. another question from a fan. Lucas Matt wants to know, Al, was it an, uh, how did you feel about being honored by Stephen Colbert uh, as a surprise on your 85th birthday? Well, naturally, the answer is I was overwhelmed. Uh, I was overwhelmed by my entire experience with uh, Stephen Colbert and, uh, uh, you know, the, the whole crew, uh, the way I got involved with them is that they were putting out a book called America. And I got a telephone call from uh, one of the producers who said, we'd like to have a fold-in uh, in, in the book. Uh, and I agreed to do it. And when I finished the fold-in, I called up and I said, uh, I have it finished for you. Uh, will you send a messenger for it or, you know, how do you want it? And I'll never forget this because it was such a nice thing to say. 
Oh, please, Mr. Jaffe, could you deliver it yourself? Oh, they wanted to meet you. Yes, yeah, So I arrived there, and I went to reception, and she called up, and she, she said, they want you to come upstairs. And all the writers and wow. everybody was there. It was the most marvelous reception. Uh, so later on, when they celebrated the, the, uh, the book uh, at, a, at a restaurant, uh, they invited me to, to come there. And uh, Steve Colbert came over and sat down next to me. And he, he, he was just such a lovely guy uh, and still is, I'm sure. Because he said to me, you know, we all grew up on your stuff and the rest of the mad gang of idiots. I mean, we loved you guys. And uh, we... I always we... thought it was a crew of idiots. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, used, it used to be a crew of idiots. <laughs> a crux of idiots. Yeah, that's it. That's it. But anyway, the, that's how I got to meet them. And then I was invited as a guest to the show... And, uh, well, I, actually, before before that happened, uh, my wife and I were returning from Mexico on a late flight, and we were dead tired, and we got into bed and had a case of the big eye, you know, where you can't fall asleep. You're so over, absolutely overtaxed. And so Joyce said, well, turn on, you know, the, the, the show, uh, with uh, John Stewart, the Daily, the Daily, Daily Show. Daily yeah. Show. So we turned it on, and John Stewart was just finishing. Colbert was coming on, and the next thing I know, Colbert is saying, "Do you know whose birthday it is today?" Al Jaffe, and my, a caricature of me flashed up on the screen. Oh, that's great! And then he talked directly. I mean, we were. I'm still stunned. I can't remember what was said because it was so unbelievable. He said, and we baked a cake for Al Jaffe. And he got down from his chair and walked over to the table, and there was like a four-foot cake. And it said something on the cake. And it folded into a cupcake. It was a a fold-in cake. It folded into a cupcake. He pulled the center out. Right. Oh, how clever. And pushed it together. And it's the, the the nice message on top turned into Al, you are old. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was my eighty fifth birthday. Oh, that great. was ten years ago, almost great. to the day. Great. Uh, so uh, that's my only personal uh, experience with him. And I later on did a fold in for Mad about. Uh, that wound up with Colbert as the answer. Uh, I don't remember exactly what it was, but uh, he was—he's he, a lovely guy. Uh, he comes from a very big family. Uh, told me that I think he's the youngest of nine children. Or something Sister's like a nun, that. I think. Hmm? I think. He has a sister who's a nun. Oh, is that so? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I believe so. Do you guys think about things like that? Do you think about the legacy? And I'm, I mean, how many comedy writers and comedians have been influenced by your work? You know, do you, do you pinch yourself a little bit? No, it never pinch yourself. But it's kind of fun. You know, so many people sent me emails, but I had already heard it 
Jerry Seinfeld getting coffee with celebrities. He and Howard Stern. And Howard Stern was saying, God, you know, when I was a kid, I longed to be one of the usual gang of idiots. And Jerry said, oh, I love Mad. And they went on for like three minutes about how much they love Mad. And I just, I, I just think, God, what a, I'm so glad to be associated with Mad. Me too. And, you know, especially guys, especially guys who are slightly older. I remember once I got upgraded, a guy. Oh, you did? Yes. On a flight? On a flight. A guy said to me, Dickie Bartolo, you have anything to do with Mad? I said, yeah, I write the movie satires. He goes, no Mad writer's going to be in coach. Give me that ticket. You're in first. So, my God, thank you. You were so, you were two guys that just wanted to you know escape your circumstances and and yes. be funny and connect to people through humor and yeah. and that you look at all the people yeah. you've including the two people here yes for Gilbert yeah. and I who've been reading the magazine forever and I'd fortunate oh well to, then there are the failure stories you know if the Wortham thing hadn't come along and driven EC driven all the horror titles out yeah would Mad have ever you think how history changes things would Mad have ever gone from being a comic book into a magazine. Well, it, it had to only because they ran out of material because original Mad the comic satirized, satirized only the comics. Right. And after 23 issues, which is almost two years, they thought, well, what do we do now? And then they thought, well, why don't we just satirize absolutely everything? And it couldn't look like a comic book anymore because it had to take on a, the look of what it was satirizing. Um, yeah, Harvey wanted to satirize Life magazine. Yeah, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Now, he was ambitious. Mad yeah. Magazine, too, started – when Mad Magazine started, uh, Senator Joe McCarthy in the House of Un-American Activities was going strong. Oh, yes. Right, but Mad didn't – Mad no longer fell under the comic code because it was a, a magazine. And Bill closed all the – Bill would not – did not want to subscribe to this code that they came up with. Well, because he hated censorship. He too. hated censorship. Yeah. yeah. And he just said, you know what? We'll start mad and it will be a comic, a comic, a comedy comic. And it's not going to come under this code. And then we can do it what we want. And the rest is history. And the rest is history. And speaking of Bill and hate, Gilbert wanted to ask you about the movie Up the Academy. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Do either of you have a reaction to that? Yeah. Ron Liebman, who starred in it, had his name taken off yes. the picture. I yes. remember the old man office. Bill had the statue. We with, still have with, it. And, oh, you still yeah, have it. Yes. And he had and chipped away the... the yes, it yeah. said Mad Magazine Presents, and they had chipped away the, the uh, yeah. P. So it says Mad Magazine Resent. <laughs> that was a thrill for me. Yes. First <clears throat> so up. the story was they sent Bill the script, and and we were working on a mad movie, and Warner Brothers said, we have this movie, and if you like the script, we could make this the first mad movie, and then when you come out with a mad movie, we can have a franchise like National Lampoon. So based on the script, Bill said, yeah, this is a funny script. But then, did you go to the preview? I may have. Oh, but I just anyway, he blocked it from his the memory. The movie was appalling. <laughs> <laughs> appalling. Oh, by Robert Downey Sr.? 
I'm sorry? Was it directed by Robert Downey Sr.? You know, Sr.? I don't even remember. I believe it was. Des, I, do you know? Desmond, Desmond Devlin, the Matt Free, uh, and, and Bill, Matt Freelancer is here. Bill He's saying said, yes. can you take Mad's name off it? And they said, no. We made like 3,000 prints. We can't take Mad's name off it. But this is the great thing about Bill, about how, how, how ballsy he could be. So he said, Warner read Mad. The only thing they didn't read was the letters page. So Bill said, let's take out the letters page and we will do Mad Magazine Resents Up the Academy <laughs> on, in, on the letters page. And I think it was four panels. And then it says, wait a minute, this movie is so appalling, we can't even satirize it. <laughs> and let's just leave the next page blank. And so that... No one at Warner saw until the magazine was printed. And Bill was willing to take that chance. But he did pay, uh, I believe he told me it was $10,000 to have his name removed when it went to DVD and VHS. So it no longer said Mad Magazine uh, Presents. It was just up it the was sort of was, Who was in the movie? Ron Liebman. I think. Did Gilbert tell you that he had his name taken? Did oh, you yeah, mention that? Yeah. Yes, yes. Removed. Yeah. yeah. Now, yeah. wasn't there something, too, with the statue that the statue was taken out at one point? Yes. I think they wanted no reference to Alfred in it. Joe is screaming. What's Joe? Joe's at the glass and he's holding up he's holding 5-0. What's what? that? Come on in. 5-0. We'll cut this together. What are you, what's, what are you saying, Joe? 50,000. Fifty thousand oh, dollars. Thank 50, you, 000. Joe Rayola is here, senior editor okay. of Mad, as right. we pointed out before. To, thank to you, have Joe. Mad's name taken off it, and the statue. The statue oh. is in our office. Yeah, yeah, but wasn't they? They want the, yeah. the statue was actually, I believe, in the movie. But I think Bill paid the fifty thousand dollars to have Mad's name taken off it, and the scene with the statue removed from the movie, so that there would be no. Alfred E. Newman likeness because the statue was Alfred E. Newman. Yes. Right. 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 So it was supposed to be kind of an Animal House knockoff, wasn't yes, it? Yes, exactly. Oh, exactly. Right. But it was I saw it on TV. Oh. It was bad. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll get yeah. Ron Liebman in here at some point to oh, talk about it. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll, ups, we'll upset him by asking about we'll it. We'll talk yeah. about nothing but. <laughs> but, but before we wrap and we should let these gentlemen get on with their lives. They've been here a long time. Uh do you have one one Harvey Kurtzman story? Al, to take us out on one oh. one one great Harvey anecdote, or am I putting you on the spot? Oh well, I'm. Uh, you're putting my uh, addled memory on the spot. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you one of the nice things in the book is that you guys went to high school together. You were you and Will Elder were seniors. He was a freshman. Yes. And he said even back then, one day I'm going to start a humor magazine, yes. and you guys are going to work for me. Well, our experience. Uh, Will Elder and I somehow became, uh, uh, you know, the house cartoonists. Uh, fine art was 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 the stress, and uh, it was a wonderful school for fine art. I mean, I had a class in Laguardia. We should point out. Yeah. Well, now it's Laguardia. Right, right. It used to be the high school oh, okay. music high and school art. Oh, okay. High school music and art. And. Uh, uh, in fact, I was in, in the auditorium when LaGuardia came on stage and uh, 
blessed us all. Wow. Because he, he, he came on in his high-pitched voice and said, My boys and girls, I am so proud of you. <laughs> he created that school because he said, we have all kinds of uh, high schools for people graduating from uh, grade school or junior high school to select needle trades, automotive, aircraft, uh, special schools. Yeah, printing. This, printing, high school of printing, yeah. yeah. And all these auto mechanics, even all these special trades, because we were we were in the depression, and of course, getting uh, earning a living was the most important thing. But he had noticed that there was no nothing, no school that was really dedicated totally to the arts. So he created the high school of music and art, and. I was fortunate enough to be in the first class with Will Elder, who was then Wolf Eisenberg. And uh, and one day, and Will, Willie and I uh, uh, were actually selected for the High School of Music and Art out of the same junior high school. So we got to know each other, and we lived a block apart. And... Uh, we uh, we were in the gym one day, and uh, I mean we were well known for drawing cartoons all the time, both of us. So we we're in the gym, and we looked up on the bulletin board, and there was this hilarious series of cartoons uh, depicting the freshman boat ride, and it was signed Harvey Kurtzman. So. Someone came along to us at, at, at other times, at another time, and said, you better look to your... Oh, as a matter of fact, that's how it really happened. Someone came and said, you better look to your laurels, you two wannabe cartoonists. Go up to the gym, and you'll see something by a freshman. And Willie and I raced up there and saw this, and we, you know, it was eye-opening. Harvey Kurtzman did a spoof of this boat ride that the freshman class was on. And there was so much funny shtick going on in this boat, you know, uh, people, kids throwing up on other kids down below and, uh, you know, typical uh, teenage stuff. So we knew of Harvey, but unbeknownst to us is Harvey set his eyes on us. And later on, in later years, he came to me and he said, you know, I swore to myself that someday I'm going to have a publication of some sort and you and Willie are going to be in it. And um, that's the story of how we, we knew each other. Now, Will Elder also put out those books, the comic books, or is that Will... You're thinking of Will Eisner. Will Eisner. Will Eisner. Yeah, Will Eisner. Will Eisner was my first boss. And uh, this, this goes back a little bit. Uh, I know it's out of sequence, but you were talking about Dave Berg earlier. 
I went up to Will Eisner with samples, which I thought was such hot stuff, uh, a comic idea that I titled Inferior Man, Defender of the Inept. <laughs> and I thought, that is funny, you know. Wow, they're going to go crazy for it. Well, was, Will Eisner liked it. And he said, I'm going to hire you for $10 a week. And he gave me a seat, and it happened to be right behind Dave Berg, who was doing something called Death Patrol, a wonderful comic that, at that time that I had. It was, I mean, it was just beautifully done, in my view. And Dave took me under his wing, took me out and showed me places where I could get a cheap lunch and stuff like that. And we became friends socially uh, from years afterwards. Now, what, what fascinates me with Will Eisner is I love his books, but his books I want to kill myself afterwards. They're always so sad and so down. So what kind of a person was Will Eisner? Will himself was a very uh, lovely man. I looked up to him as absolutely as if he was a god. Uh, He wrote, he created and wrote and drew the spirit. He hired... uh, I know this is going to be uh, sound self self aggrandizing, but I have to say it. He hired some of the best: Jules Pfeiffer. He hired Joe Kubert. He hired and uh, Vince Cardi and Bob Powell. These were all terrific cartoonists who wrote and drew uh, beautiful features for him. He was a packager. He did not publish anything. What he did is he he discovered talent and put together comic books and delivered them to uh, people who published them. And so he had a wonderful eye, uh, which was uh, probably proved proved most mostly when he let me go after six months. Uh, <laughs> no, he he did let me go. Uh, but in such a nice and friendly way and tried to send me to other people. And the reason was he was running my feature, Inferior Man, as a one-page filler. So if a story ran short, I would appear. If the story filled up, if the stories filled up the whole magazine, Inferior Man did not appear. So under those circumstances... He didn't feel that I would be going anywhere with with my feature, and uh, but I admired him enormously, and met him later on in the military, in the Pentagon, and uh, uh, we were always friendly to each other. Now, can, can you tell one more thing about comedy and tragedy? Comedy and tragedy, in my view, are different sized sides of the same coin. Uh, that's why when you see depictions of comedy, uh, of masks, of comedy and drama, 
There's one sad mask and one happy mask. And uh, I think the the best comedies and the best comedians have always come out of, uh, you know, the lower classes where people are striving tremendously uh, and uh, going through hardships. And the thing that sustains them is seeing the humor even in their agonizing, agonized lives. And I think that so many of the early big comedians in the United States in the early days of vaudeville and uh, radio and so on, they all came out of dire circumstances where there was nothing really to laugh about. Certainly Chaplin, yeah. And Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, and great example. Uh, and so many others. Uh, they, they created humor to help people help themselves and help pe- others survive because you cannot survive in misery. And uh, comedy is a release of tension. In my view, these are just my my views, and I'm, I'm not a professor of comedy, but I have experienced in my own life uh, how uh, being funny, doing things that are funny, uh, gets is an uplifting experience for yourself and for others. And so I've enjoyed a very long career, uh, and there's nothing funny about that. No, seriously, (laughs) folks. I I, I really have had a very long career. Uh, I just recently celebrated my... 95th birthday, and I'm still enjoying working. And you're still doing the fold-in. I the, the latest fold-in that I turned in is the best one by far that I've ever done. Really? That yeah. is great to hear. Wonderful. I, I am All so years later. thrilled with it. It, ha- it hasn't come out yet. It, it will in the next issue of MAD. I expect it to come out. And uh, probably everyone will totally disagree with everything i've said (laughs) (laughs) i doubt it well now ah okay i should start wrapping up uh this has been gilbert gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my sidekick and uh my co-host he ate sidekick sounds like he should be wearing a cape and a mask (laughs) (laughs) with with my co-host and Co um and fellow Mad Magazine reader, yes, uh, Frank Santopadre. Some, some of us have even written for the magazine. Yes, for the last yes, twenty five years. Frank has written for it. It's it, it. I'll tell you, being in Aragonis's foldout in the book with the the, the entire staff. You know what I'm oh, talking yes, about? This, yes, the big yes, foldout on yeah. the poster and, and finding myself in there and finding that I was included in there is the, one of the thrills of my career. And I so, wrote an intro for one of their books. And and I've seen myself pop up in a few of the cartoons, which is always a thrill. Well, you guys influenced us, so thanks. So, well, that's a sad note to end on. Yeah. <laughs> 
So I didn't mean to bring the room down. So uh, I want to plug and, the books and, before oh, we go. Oh yes, my God. And and Dick has some plugs too. Yes, go ahead. What do you what do you got, Dick? Giz, oh, Giz okay, yeah, yeah. So if you if, uh, if you like weird gadgets and uh, and <clears throat> and a fun show, I also do a podcast. It's called the Gizwiz. You can read all about it at uh, Gizwiz dot biz. Yeah, Gizwiz dot biz, and there's also some mad stuff. Uh, there that you can buy. And There's me, even some original match game questions there. Gizwiz.biz. And let me promote the book, too. Even though you wrote it years ago, it's still available on still Amazon. Available and people can Amazon, still buy yeah. it. A memoir by Dick D. Bartolo. Yes. <laughs> well, when did he start using the D? Uh, <laughs> uh, Matt, Good Days in Mad, a hysterical tour behind the scenes at Mad Magazine. And Al's book is, is, is uh, riveting. Uh, Al Jaffe's Mad Life, written with Mary Lou Weissman and illustrated by Al. Uh, engrossing. I read it on a train, couldn't put it down. Almost missed my stop. So once again, this has been Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre at Nutmeg with our engineer, Frank Verderosa. Thank you, Frank. And, and Desmond Devlin and Joe Rayola are here too. Mad, long time mad and, fixtures. And today we've had the honor of talking to Two legendary members of a legendary humor magazine, Dick T. Bartolo. He got it, Dick. Yeah. Whoa. And, and Al Jaffe. Who? <laughs> Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks Thank for doing you. this. We appreciate it. It's Thank going to be a very popular episode. And now, two bit is isn't TV because we're going to fold in Al Jaffe. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. Okay, Listen, bye. Al bye. Jaffe is capable of folding himself. <laughs>